Now that we've covered the innate immune response, it's important to switch gears and start talking about that third line of defense, which is the adaptive immune defense, which is very highly specific to microorganisms. It's acquired from an active infection or a vaccination with that microorganism or particles of that microorganism and helps serve as an important defense against pathogens if you ever come up against them in the future. The adaptive immune response or adaptive immunity, also referred to as acquired immunity, is defined by two important terms. One of them is specificity and memory. The specificity and memory are achieved by essentially programming certain cells involved in the immune response to respond actively to subsequent exposures of the pathogen. The adaptive immune response has the ability to recognize what is you or self or what is not you, which is considered to be non-self. It relies on a complex set of biological reactions where white blood cells specifically recognize a particular microorganism and have a very specific response to that organism in order to eliminate it. There are two main cells of the adaptive immune response. These include the T cells as well as the B cells that we covered previously in the innate immune response. T cells are involved in cell-mediated immunity, and they help modulate immune functions and kill foreign cells. B cells are involved in an antibody-mediated immunity, also known as humoral immunity. They form plasma cells that produce antibodies, and an antibody is a large protein molecule. Both of these cells are responsible for the adaptive immune response to be specific, which is the T-cell job, and have memory, which is the B-cell job. T-cells mature in the thymus, whereas B-cells mature in bone marrow. T-cells are responsible for killing microorganisms, whereas B-cells are responsible for producing antibodies. On this graph here, we have concentration of antibody on the Y and time on the X-axis. We can see that the red line re represents the differing levels of antibodies after being initially exposed to a microorganism and then being exposed to it later on. What you can see is that the adaptive immune response is relatively slow when you are exposed to a pathogen for the very first time. But the second time that you are exposed to this pathogen, the time it takes to arise to a high concentration of antibodies in the body is relatively short and there is a much higher concentration. The adaptive immune response relies on antibodies as I've said previously and antibodies are produced by B cells. What antibodies do is what's shown really nicely on this image here. These antibodies that are shown in yellow, orange, and green on the graph here, these Y-shaped structures, they have the ability to bind to foreign microorganisms and they bind to a specific site known as an antigen. You can see that these antigens have different colors and shapes on the diagram here. These are sites on the microorganism that the immune response detects in order to determine that this microorganism is not self, meaning that it is not a part of the host body. Within the antigens, you will notice that there is a term known as an epitope. What an epitope is, it is very similar to an antigen, but epitopes are unique to a specific pathogen. For example, a single antigen may possess many different epitopes, and many different antibodies can bind to different epitopes on the same antigen. As T-cells play a huge role in the cell-mediated process, and they are responsible for killing microorganisms in the adaptive immune response, there are several subclasses of T-cells. We have helper T-cells, regulatory T-cells, and cytotoxic T-cells. Helper T-cells help orchestrate the humoral and cellular immunity processes. They are involved in activating macrophages. Regulatory T-cells are involved in the peripheral tolerance and prevention of autoimmune responses. And cytotoxic T-cells destroy cells infected with intracellular pathogens. Memory T-cells can also be produced. They are kind of a smaller, quieter fourth class of T-cells. They are very antigen specific and they can remain for a very long time after an infection has become eliminated. When it comes to the classes 
cases of B cells, there are two types. We have plasma cells that are cells that can produce antibodies, and we have memory cells, which are cells that are formed in response to subsequent exposures to the same protein epitope. An antibody is a protein. They are often referred to as immunoglobulins, and they are involved in the humoral immunity process and bind to pathogens or toxins that the microorganism might produce to prevent these structures from binding to host tissues. When you look at the anatomy of an antibody, you can notice a couple of things, and they're color-corded really nicely on this diagram here. We can see that an antibody is made out of a heavy chain of amino acids, and they are shown in purple here. There are two heavy chains that are connected together by disulfide bonds, forming that Y-shaped structure. Antibodies are often made out of light chains or shorter chains of amino acids, and they are shown in green here. An antibody can be divided into the variable region that just happens to be shaded in a lighter color on the top of this diagram, and they are made out of a constant region, which is shown in the darker purples and green. Antigens, or epitopes of antigens, can bind to the variable region of antibodies. This region can be very diverse to allow for specificity to different types of antigens found on microorganisms, whereas the constant region is always the same. Antibody binding disrupts the function of the antigen, and as you can see in this diagram, it often prevents the antigen from binding to the proper target. So if we wanted to really make things simple, here is the general immune system diagram in response to a microbial infection of the adaptive immune response. We see on the top here a blue circle that represents a microorganism with a protein coat. The microorganism has entered the host and has begun to multiply. Due to the high rise of this microorganism, the macrophage cell that we have seen in the innate immune response is already circulating throughout the body and it recognizes that this blue shaped structure is a foreign pathogen. So it begins to ingest these microorganisms and once it ingests the microorganisms, it will begin to send a chemical signal message to helper T cells to alert the helper T cells that a foreign invader has been found inside of the host. What the helper T cells do is they orchestrate the humoral and cellular immune response by activating T cells or activating B cells. The helper T cells recognizes the protein coat of the microorganism and alerts the T and B cells by making cytokines and sending them a chemical message. Killer T cells are usually those that will intercept this message from the helper T cells and it'll take that cytokine and use it to help identify the foreign particle or foreign microorganism in order to kill or break it down. Memory T cells become activated in order to provide immunity long after infection. On the other side of this diagram we have our B cells. What the B cells will do once they receive the message from the helper T cells is that they will begin to make antibodies to help neutralize the microorganisms to prevent them from attaching to the host. Memory B cells will become activated and will also remain behind to provide immunity in case the microorganism is presented again in the future. So a couple of functions that the antibodies do is that they neutralize microorganisms or toxins produced by microorganisms. The neutralization process involves the binding of antibodies to specific antigens on bacteria, viruses, or toxins, like in the diagram that we see here, to prevent them from attaching to target cells. Another thing that antibodies can do is that they can opsonize. And what this process does is it allows for antibodies to bind to a pathogen, and what it does is it inhibits the pathogen to cause infection and actually tags the pathogen for destruction. Macrophages, which are circulating throughout tissues, will find this tagged pathogen and bring it in through the process of phagocytosis to break it down. This process can also be done by dendritic cells or even neutrophils. The next thing that antibodies can do is agglutination, which is when it binds to several microorganisms at once and causes them to clump together to prevent them from binding to a host cell or host tissue. Precipitation is very similar to agglutination.
agglutination, but this is for toxins or other antigen molecules that the microorganism might produce. This is when antibodies bind to these smaller structures to produce clumps as well so that they cannot find their target receptor on the host cell or host tissues, allowing them to no longer be functional. When it comes to adaptive immunity, there's technically four mechanisms to acquire it. The first one is passively naturally acquired, which is when you have immunity passed, for example, from breast milk or through the placenta to another individual. Passive artificially acquired immunity is when someone acquires immunity by being provided antibodies from another person or another animal as a way to combat the pathogen that they may have inside of them. Actively naturally acquired immunity is when someone acquires the pathogen and the disease themselves and they undergo their immune responses and gain immunity through illness and recovery. Active artificially acquired immunity is when someone acquires immunity through a vaccine. Vaccinations expose humans to foreign proteins associated with a disease-causing microorganism. This could include the dead microorganism, a live but weakened microorganism, or some kind of altered toxin that the microorganism produces to cause disease. An individual's immune system will then respond and eventually make antibodies and memory cells for that specific protein and disease. So how does the vaccine play a role in this whole process? If we bring this diagram again but make some slight alterations, you will see that vaccines stimulate the adaptive immune response. There are different classes of vaccines. There are vaccines that are considered to be live attenuated. These are weakened strains of the entire pathogen and a chickenpox vaccine is an example of this. There are inactivated vaccines, which are vaccines in which the whole pathogen has been killed or inactivated, and the influenza vaccine is a type of an inactivated vaccine. A subunit vaccine is when someone is given antigens of that microorganism, and the whooping cough vaccine is a subunit vaccine. A toxoid vaccine is when you have a bacterial toxin become inactivated and distributed to an individual. The tetanus vaccine is an example of this. And lastly, a conjugate vaccine is when you have a protein conjugated to a capsule polysaccharide. The meningitis vaccine is an example of this. Before the age of 12, kids can receive up to 22 inoculations and booster shots that are shown below. It's important to realize that adults need vaccinations as well, such as pneumococcal pneumonia. The term herd immunity is used to describe a scenario in which you have a population that is largely immune to a disease, but there are those that are susceptible. If there is a scenario in which only a few individuals are susceptible, then they are protected indirectly by herd immunity. Vaccinations create herd immunity by reducing the number of susceptible individuals in a population, like the polio and measles vaccine.